Monday night, you hear the music, we're getting fired up. It's time for Iron Sports. It's the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So much to talk about tonight as the NFL regular season has concluded. Ira, we're always fully transparent with our listeners, and we're not doing the show live tonight, but we have a great reason for that. You're busy. Hello, I'm busy. We're, we're taping it just a few hours early because I'm going to go to the national championship game. TCU, Michigan. I mean, TCU, Michigan. Wow, that was last week. No, TCU, Georgia. And I'll tell you what, it is. I'm mean, out here in Los Angeles. I don't feel the buzz of the game, but as someone who's going, look at all the big games I went to this year in terms of college football. The final game, the national champion, you have a game where Georgia's favored by 13 points, 14 points. Uh, people are not considering this much of a game, including me, uh, but I'm excited to go to this. Let's see if TCU can pull off that miracle. Remember when Miami upset Nebraska? That's the type of thing inside this type of game where uh, seven, you know, can TCU pull another miracle out of their hat and win this game? But I'm excited to be here. I've been to, I guess, a half a dozen national championship football games, and, and it's just it's, it's great. The final game, you know, of all the football games that are played all year, this is the last one. And, um, you know, for good reason, we're going to bring Patrick Garbin back on. We had him on last week. He might be like the the, the world's number one Georgia authority, and he's going to join us around 740. Yeah, Patrick wrote has, has written uh, eight books on Georgia football. He's tied into the program. I can't wait. We had him on a couple weeks ago, and I uh, just can't wait to bring him back and, and just have his opinion of why. I know he's out here, so we're going to talk to him. He's been meeting with the coaches and talking to the players. Uh, excited to have him come on and give his uh, impression of the game and his predictions. So, Ira, this is somewhat of a slow time for sports, even though we're getting into the NFL playoffs and you know college football's wrapping up. But a lot of there's not much to do during the week. You, however, kept yourself extremely busy this week. Well, you know, Los Angeles is amazing. I mean, there are so much. I, I'm staying in Orange County, and so I was able to go to the NI Mighty Ducks stay about 10 minutes from where I'm staying, so I play. So I went to an NI Mighty Ducks stay. I've never been to the Hunt. I've been to Hunt Center, but not just been uh, fixed up and made, you know, all, all new, remodeled, really. And then I went to an LA Kings game at Staples Center. It was like one night I went to an LA Kings game, and the next night I went to an LA Laker game. So I've seen, and this, in the whole week, I'm going to see two college football games, the Rose Bowl National game, uh, two hockey games in two different arenas, and the LA Lakers and, uh, and uh, it's crypto.com. No, you, you've definitely kept yourself busy and uh, kind of touching you know three of the four major sports here in America. Too bad you couldn't get you know regular season baseball game or a World Series game. Uh, don't forget, Ira's got some great pictures everywhere he goes, and you can follow him online at Ira on Sports anywhere you go. So Ira, we got off air last Monday night, and just about an hour later, the entire sports world was rocked uh, with the injury to DeMar Hamlin. This was something that was unprecedented, Ira, but we've seen things kind of like this before, one of them being with your Pittsburgh Steelers, Ryan Shazier. I was surprised. I mean, I heard it. I'm walking out of the parking lot. I'm at the Rose Bowl, and when you're at the Rose Bowl, the reason we taped it a little before I got there, there was absolutely zero cell service. You cannot get any information on anything. I mean, I couldn't even get my satellite radio to work, let alone you can't make a phone call or text. So I'm sort of getting just some information as you're going walking to the car, what's having a game. I saw the game was stopped. I thought it was a weather delay. Um, I'm getting in my car, and then finally I got some information when I finally got to my car about what happened. And, uh, you know, just completely tragic about 
about DeMar Hamlet. I've seen the play many times. Uh, the uh, training staff that went on the field, what a great job. I mean, if you're going to have a heart attack anywhere, the NFL football stadium is, a, is a, probably amazing to be on the field because you could have trainers that are skilled in this, and you have the doctors that are right there, and the fact that the staff, I mean, those guys should win you know, awards for how they saved, they, they did save his life, um, and I think you know everything was handled perfectly. Uh, DeMar Hamlin is from Pittsburgh. He went to University of Pittsburgh, grew up at, at the high school at Central Catholic. I know a lot of friends that trained with him, a lot of friends that were his trainers that went to camps and everything. Supposedly, well, not supposedly, he is. Uh, from everything that they tell me, one of the greatest kids in the world, they love him, they thought he was great, he's a phenomenal person, and it's so amazing to think that we're a week later and you thought, oh my God, is, is, is life or death in balance, and now he's you know, he's given the huddle to the team before the game starts. He's FaceTiming people, and I'm still not out of the woods totally, but everything looks like it's great. And, and what a what a great story when we thought about last, you know, about seven days ago, seven days plus a few hours, where this story was could end up with, um, where it is now. Uh, just you know, tremendous, tremendous news. Um, and what a, what a great story for 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 Demar and for the Bills and and certainly for his family. So, do you want to talk about? the ramifications of this game cancellation. This was something nobody knew what the NFL was going to do. And I don't think the NFL knew what they were going to do, Ira. And it kind of turned into a sticky situation for everyone. Well, it, it turned into a situation because I think, first of all, I think it was clear when they, and when the NFL canceled the game, when, when his, when he was still in critical condition, this game was not going to be played. I didn't think that they should push the season back. I, I didn't think they should have an extra week of a game. I and mean, their proposals, everything of like, there's a bye week between the last, the championship game and the Super Bowl. They said, well, play, push everything back a week. But that's not how the TV contracts are set, everything set. This was thought about during COVID. I mean, they thought of this could happen. I mean, we did not have a cancellation of a game in COVID. I'm a Steelers fan. We were playing games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and, and Mondays and all different days. That's one reason why I think the Steelers played so poorly during the COVID year is because they kept getting everything pushed back. Remember, they were undefeated. Uh, that was two years ago, and then and then they and they started losing games because they ended up playing like three games in seven days, some crazy thing. It, it should have gone. It should it should have been simple just to go to winning percentage. And I know that it's sort of unfair. It is unfair to Buffalo perspective for that. But it's also but the idea that's how the league had it in place is that if games are canceled, we go to winning percentage. And it seems like in this case they didn't know they're going to play the game, and they decided to cancel the game. And then they went to this now for the Cincinnati Baltimore situation. Baltimore, Cincinnati was going to have a, re- a record that was going to be better than Baltimore's record, even if they lost the game yesterday. And they, the, the NFL said, even if you're, if you guys, if even if you have a better record, um, you're going to, if there's going to be a game, we'll have a coin flip to see who has which next week they play the following week of the playoff this coming, you know, Sunday at their playing, there'd be a coin flip to decide because Cincinnati could finish the game. I thought that was ridiculous. Like, I mean, it should have just gone to winning percentage. It doesn't matter if Baltimore beats Cincinnati twice, but Cincinnati, took care of business and won their game. But where it will come into play is if Kansas City, who is now the number, people are so confused. People ask, keep asking me these questions. They're like, well, Kansas City's number one seed. Yeah, they're the number one seed. But if they play Buffalo in the AFC Championship game, it's going to be on a neutral site. Now, is that fair for Kansas City? Probably not, because Kansas City is like where they have, their, they have a better record. They won one more game. And Buffalo could have lost that game. But that's how the, the NFL decided to do, it, do their thing. Now, they went. People say, oh, you know, the Cincinnati protested this. They needed nine votes to start to, to just go to the winning percentage idea. And they, they were only able to get eight votes, eight of the teams voted. So this 
was contentious, and I think it's something that has to be addressed. Because Cincinnati is saying, look, we came up with a, a we, we, Cincinnati was the one who pushed this. We came up with how we wanted this to be done, and now you're changing it. And I understand it's terrible for Buffalo, and, and, and there's no doubt the game had to be stopped and canceled. And 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 I was surprised. I'll tell you what, as, as a Steeler fan. Um, I, when Shazier, Ryan Shazier, I was watching the game on TV. I was surprised. He was clear that he was seriously injured. I was surprised he wasn't stopped in that game. I, I felt like it was a tragic. It was unbelievable. It was very terrible. I, I, and I'm surprised games haven't been stopped more often. I, there was no doubt that this game should have been stopped. The players could not have continued on uh, with the game. But in the end, there's no, you can't replay the game. It didn't make no sense to replay it. But I think they should have just gone back to winning percentage, and that's where Kansas City would have had number one seed. I think that's the simplest way. If the game is not played, you just look at winning percentage, which is in the NFL rulebook. So let's get into the games. There was a lot of games that had no ramifications at all, and there was some that had everything on the line, you know, win and get in or win and have other people lose. We'll start with Kansas City, the number one overall seed from the AFC, playing the Raiders. And this game, not that much on the line, but we saw Jarrett Stidham come in for Derek Carr two weeks ago and play fantastic. And people are thinking, is Jarrett Stidham the real deal? And we found out yesterday, probably not. I'm not going to say not, probably not. But it's <laughs> I think Kansas City needed to win this game to get the number one seed. Um, and they finished 14 and three. Mahomes now has the all time record. It's weird when you look at stats now. He has 5,600 yards that breaks Drew Brees' record. We're playing extra game now. It really doesn't, doesn't, you know, fit in terms of what you're supposed to be doing in terms of, but again, it, this was a total blow. It, and for a Kansas City team that seemed to be like, let's play it close, they'll have Mahomes win. I, for, they should feel comfortable about what happened in the game. They were up 24 3 at halftime. They cruised along. Mahomes was 18 for 26, 200 yards. Uh, Justin Watson, who we had on our show, before uh, their wide receiver, 67-yard pass. Um, and the Chiefs ran for almost 170 yards. So if you're a Chiefs fan, you're like, this is what, you know, this is what we like. This this was good. They had a spinning huddle, which we've never seen before. They were in a huddle, and they did a circle and then broke, and then there was a procedure penalty. They were having fun. Um, and the Raiders, their season has been a disaster. Um, the only good thing is Jacobs won the rushing. Josh Jacobs won the rushing title. Uh, he came in and, and played and had just an amazing year, considering he's going to be a free agent now, the running back for the, for the Raiders. But in essence, really what this game was about was, uh, was, was the fact that the Raiders are a complete mess. Anything is on the table. I would not be surprised if Josh McDaniels even got fired after one year. I would be surprised if Tom Brady is the quarterback coach there. As Sean Payton's the coach there, who knows? But this is not where they thought they were going to be when they brought Devontae Adams in, who had a great year. You know, if I said Devontae Adams is going to have a great year, this has been a disaster for the Raiders. But from the Chiefs' perspective, the Raiders finished 6-11. and 11. The Chiefs at 14-3 and three have got to be happy where they are with the number one seed. If they have to play at a neutral site against the Bills, um, they got to be. They, they're. This is a game they needed. They look good, and they're rolling into the playoffs. That's an interesting point you bring up, Ira. If you had told Raiders fans before the season started, Devontae Adams would have a Pro Bowl year, and uh, Josh Jacobs would lead the league in rushing, and you guys would finish uh, six and thirteen, or if, uh, uh, what was it, um, six and eleven? They would be thinking you're crazy. That that can't be. But that is the the reality of this right now. I don't know what what went off the rails there. Who do you think is going to be the quarterback for for the Raiders next year? I, I want to say something. I have no idea on this one. <laughs> Me neither. I was surprised with Derek Carr. I, I Derek Carr lives and breathes Raiders uh, silver and black. He loves this franchise. He's been a quarterback there for nine years. They brought Devontae Adams went there for Derek Carr. 
Uh, Derek Carr played terrible against the Steelers. That game, I think, was the thing that pushed them over the edge with the Steelers game. But, again, why is he throwing the ball 30 times in horrendous weather? I, I don't know why they would run the ball more. Jacobs doesn't know why he doesn't run more. And tons of Raider fans don't know why he doesn't run when they were in Pittsburgh when they did run the ball when it was minus 20 degrees. I think uh, Josh McDaniels has proven he is not. he did not coach well when he was at Denver. He's not coaching well with the Raiders. He might be a great assistant, might be the architect of all these Super Bowl wins with Brady and Belichick. But, I mean, he has not won as a head coach. And this is a, this season has been another disaster. And the, the question is, you know, yesterday, last year, they, they, when they fired Gruden, they brought the assistant coach in who did well. Then they got rid of him and brought McDaniels in. This didn't really all work out well. So there's a question whether they should have just kept uh, their interim coach and made him the coach. So, Ira, it's not very often that we say, you know what, there's a massive AFC South game on the line today. But that is what we had with the Titans and Jaguars on Saturday night. Well, this is a, a big game for Jacksonville in terms of, you know, Jack, Tennessee was 7-3, and three and they and they lost seven straight games. So when you lose seven straight games at the end of the year, it's pretty bad. And Jacksonville, which was struggling the entire year when they came out and, and, play, and just was winning at the end of the season. So you've got to give them credit for it. They're, Jacksonville, t- Tennessee does not have Ryan Tannehill. They, the Malik Willis experiment with a rookie did not, he, he certainly was not ready to play. So they bring Josh Jobs, who, who Dobbs, who I'm familiar with because he was a Steeler backup for three years. So I, and then Derrick Henry came in the game. Now, when this game, the line was like seven, and a lot of people kept saying, oh, well, you know, I don't think that uh, uh, Tennessee is going to have a chance in this game. But Mike Vrabel is a great coach. Mike Vrabel knows what he wants to do with the game. Derrick Henry's a good roommate. He had a week off. And so I was not surprised that Tennessee, their first drive, 14-play drive, they converted two fourth downs. They did use a crazy lateral. It resulted in a field goal. Jacksonville turns the ball over. But the score's 10 nothing. And then uh, and it wasn't for Jacksonville getting a long kickoff return, made it 10-7, but 13-7 at halftime. And then Tennessee had this game won. They were up 16-10, and Derrick Henry ran, it seemed like, 45 yards. But they called it back for holding, which really didn't even help him. He didn't need holding. That's what Derek Henry runs. He doesn't need any help at all in terms of running. He played, played great. And that brought it back. Dobbs threw interception. Then they got, then uh, Jacksonville got a field goal. And then Jacksonville, and then Tennessee still had the ball with the lead. And uh, Rashawn Jenkins, with 2.51 left, but Rashawn Jenkins hits Dobbs, bumped Dobbs, holds the ball. Josh Allen picked it up for a touchdown. Jacksonville the, went three and out three straight times. And it's the first team since Carolina in 2000 to pull off a fourth-quarter comeback without gaining a first down in the quarter. This isn't like Trevor Lawrence led Jacksonville last day. <laughs> their offense was anemic. If it wasn't for Dobbs, like, again, Dobbs fumbling that ball was – I mean, you have the lead. You don't fumble the ball and let it quick. There was the last thing you ever want to do, just a terrible performance from Dobbs' perspective and how well Tennessee played. It really let the team down in terms of play. I mean, Henry ran 30 times for 109 yards. And Trevor Lawrence was a pedestrian game, 20 for 32, 2-12, one touchdown. Um, I, like, as a Jacksonville fan, if you're a Jacksonville fan, you're like, wow, I don't know what we feel about the game. They, their offense just could not get going, especially in the second half at all. But a terrible loss for Tennessee when they had this game won and Dobbs fumbled the ball. No, yeah, it, it, it's a backbreaker for Tennessee. And they're without a quarterback, but uh, that defense did show up, and, and they looked good. And, and I, I don't think the things are as bad in Tennessee as, as maybe they are in some of these other teams that we're going to talk about. Let's go to Patriots and Bills. And this was one where there were some ramifications here. There'd be some scoreboard watching. Patriots needed a, a win. It's tough to win against Buffalo, and Buffalo came out, and I guess you could say honored DeMar Hamlin ran the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. Right. I mean, that's what the Jacksonville-Tennessee game, Jacksonville by winning that game, got the four seed. So that won there, that was, that was for that seed. So we're just going to go in order of how these games finished. 
and the Pats-Bills game was next. If the Patriots won that game, Patriots are in. They win and in. It's simple as that. And uh, But they ended up losing 35-23. Um, this is the fourth time in 23 years that Belichick has lost. Uh, not not made the playoffs, and now um, you know in the first season, you know usually the Patriots always end up strong. They've now lost five out of seven games. Uh, opening kickoff, I mean, you just sit down and Himes runs it back for a touchdown. Uh, but but the Patriots didn't just give in. You know, you thought people I think expected again with the Tennessee Jacksonville, this is going to be a blowout. But it was fourteen fourteen at halftime. Josh Allen threw it through a, a weird interception there again at the end of the first half. Uh, and then the bill, you know, the, the, the Pats were driving for a touchdown beginning of the second half. They throw, Mac Jones throws interception. Bill stumble right back, made it 17 14. And then, uh, it was 28 23. And, uh, and, and, uh, uh, but then, oh, right, it was, it was to make it to 17 14. And then the big play was again, Himes returned another kickoff back for a touchdown. So there's been all year long four kickoff returns for touchdowns. Himes in one game, just two, two of them. Um, and that was, and that that was key, you know, to make it twenty eight twenty three, and then um, and then Allen threw a long pass to Diggs, made it thirty five twenty three, and then Mac Jones threw two interceptions of the game. I thought Mac Jones played great, and then the end of the game was just a mess with those two interceptions. Um, but it was it was like one of those just a weird weird game. But for for with the two kickoff returns for touchdowns, uh, Josh Allen was three touchdowns, two hundred fifty yards, and a t- and threw a touchdown. But it just, you know, that interception, he's got, he cannot throw those interceptions. But uh, as I said, everyone's criticized Josh Allen, everyone's criticized the Bills. I love the fact that he's aggressive. He tries to go over things. They got Diggs has had a couple bad games. He had seven catches for 104 yards. Uh, but, uh, and you know, Devontae Parker, <laughs> Dolphin fans down here in Miami, he had a great game. He had over, over uh, two touchdowns and caught six passes. But it was, it was something now the Patriots are eliminated for the playoffs. And then, and then, and they were, it was all scoreboard watching from both games because the Steeler game on and the Dolphin game, I had all three, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings watching all three at the same time. So as a Steeler fan, I'm like, okay, Patriots are out. That's good. Now let's worry about the Jets game. Yeah. And speaking of that Jets game, man, that was pretty ugly. (laughs) I know we're on, you know, two teams working with essentially third string quarterbacks here. Dolphins did enough though to get the win and they are going to the playoffs. I mean, that was one of, as that game was going on, you're like, what is going on? The Jets literally were like, put us out of our misery. We do not care. They had Joe Flacco, who was terrible at quarterback. Their defense even looked bad. I mean, everything about the Jets was bad, but the Dolphins could not get anything going. Um, and it was it was at, at it was three three at halftime in a game that you know with this great Dolphins offense. And then the Jets went on a long drive. Yeah, you know, they were lucky. The defense went up six three. It looked like the Jets were in the second half were moving the ball better. Made it six six. And then I, the, the drive at the end of the game, they were very helped on that horse collar tackle on Waddle. I mean, there was a question whether it's a horse collar or not. You know, I was with I was watching at the bar with other fans and, you know, Dolphin fans, and they even were like, I don't know if that was a horse collar. But they called the horse collar. That gave them, you know, moved them, you know, got them first down, and then Jason Saunders hits a 50-yard field goal to win the game. But uh, uh, it was – and then they got that crazy safety safety at the end. The only good thing for Miami is this. They ran the ball for 150 yards. Wilson had 70 yards. Most start 70 yards. Um, But in the Jets, you know, again, 187 yards total for the game. The Fins had 302. I just, I just, in this, this just begs the question. Now that punches the ticket for Miami to get to the playoffs. This is huge. Miami makes the playoffs, but considering they had lost, uh, you know, they, five, they were on a five-game losing streak. They finally win this game against the Jets, which I thought was going to happen. But these two are going to play. I, I see no way two is going to play in this game. None. I mean, I just don't see it. I, I, he had two concussions. 
Um, I think it's going to, this game is going to be a national television. Whatever doctor allows her to play, if he has another concussion, it's just going to, you saw what happened that first time when they, the doctor got bashed and criticized for letting him play. I don't, I don't care if there's no, no condition, no nothing. I just don't think they're going to let Tua play the, in this game. But I, what's your opinion? Like, I, I just don't think they're going to let him play. Yeah, I mean, the optics bad. I, I don't know how he feels. And I think that only people in the Dolphins organization are going to know that. I, I, him being a, a professional athlete, I think he's going to come out and try to play. You know, he's going to say, I'm ready, regardless if, you know, what the doctors are saying. I agree with you. I don't think he's going to. But I think that Tua is going to do everything he can to be on the field, uh, whether you know, f- you know, putting his uh, health to the to the side. That's just how these guys are. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I really don't know if he's going to suit up. He just needs to be cleared by a doctor and by the team. And I just don't think the team is ready to do it. And I, I think that, and I don't think a doctor was willing to do it. And I think it was that. I mean, if it, again, I just think after that, when you saw him on the ground, especially with the Hamlin situation, I with the with they, the, the league does not want another serious concussion. I don't think a doctor. I don't think they're going to find a doctor that's going to clear. Him. No doctor is going to say, okay, you're cleared to play in this game because if it, if, if another concussion happens, they're going to blame the doctor. They're going to blame this. They're going to attack the doctor. Why? Because you don't know. I mean, concussions are something you don't really know. I mean, it's not like a knee or a hip or whatever. So I, any, I mean, I have Dolphin fans who think he's playing. I, I say he's not. I, I'm going to put it into almost 100%. I'd be shocked if he's out there playing. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I don't think next week the Dolphins have any chance in a million years to beat the Bills. I mean, with that, with Skylar Thompson, Teddy Bridgewater, I don't get Marino. He was, I mean, Marino was on the sideline. I thought with his arm, it just seemed like, I mean, you watch that game. Flacco, you talk, everybody criticized Ben Rotzenberger's arm at the end. Flacco has no pace or any between Skylar Thompson and Joe Flacco. The balls looked, it was like high school football in terms of the, the pace of those balls. It was just as, when Gesicki caught that long pass, I was like, that ball looked like that forever. I mean, it was just one of the worst two quarterbacks playing against each other I think I've ever seen in an NFL game. You know, Ira, I think the NFL agrees with with us too that two is not going to play based off the, the game times. The fact that Jacksonville and um, Jacksonville and the Chargers are on Saturday night, whereas the Bills and and Miami are the the one o'clock slot on Sunday, which is probably the the worst time slot. So they must be thinking this game could be over, you know, by the end of the second quarter. That's the only thing I could think because I thought they were going to slot Jacksonville there. Right. So I mean, it was and again. I, the line, what is the line now? Nine. Um, I, I, I think the line sort of shows, yeah, nine points. I think it, I think people, I think the line being nine is pretty clear. I think if two was playing when they had just played, everyone saw the Buffalo-Miami game, how close Miami played, almost beat Buffalo. If two is in that game, they're going to make that line. It's gonna be, that would be a four or five-point line. The fact that it's nine, and it'll probably when they make the final announcement go 10, 11, 12, I think they don't want to, I think the bookies didn't want to leave themselves with, you know, they want to make it four and then have to go to 12. I think it's going to be a situation where the line will go to 10 or 11 or 12 by the time when they finally make the formal announcement two is not playing. The real story from this game, Ira, I don't know if you saw this, Joe Flacco's son wore a Tyreek Hill jersey to the game and got Tyreek's autograph. That's something I've never seen before in sports, wearing your dad's opponent's jersey. Well, I don't know. Joe Flacco, I don't think I said, I think he was called into this game. I don't think, I mean, the fact I think was more story is the Jets seem to have every piece imaginable uh, that they want. And then they have a Garrett Wilson, a great wide receiver, Brees Hall, who was injured as a running back. Their offensive line is coming to shape. Their defense was Sauce Gardner, was that great quarterback. Um, they just, they totally whiffed on Zach Wilson at the, at the quarterback. He's not going to be back. That's why everyone thinks that Rogers going to go there. Every, I mean, if you're Jets fans, you're saying, what do we need? Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. 
I don't know. I question also Robert Sala. I, you know, he made a lot of statements. The team looks good. I don't, know. I, think, I don't like how he handled the quarterback situation so much. I think when you have teams like we have to run by defensive coordinators like Sala, they sometimes mess up the quarterback. They've, they've completely whiffed on this, but there's no way Zach Wilson is the quarterback. The reason Zach Wilson did not play in this game was not because they want to protect him and get him ready for next year. It's to protect him so they can trade him for a fourth-round or a fifth-round draft, draft choice. There, it was not because the, Zach Wilson is not, be, is not going to be playing for the New York Jets next year. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, Patrick Garbin. Join us in about 20 minutes or so. Going to talk a lot of Georgia football, but let's keep it with the NFL right now. Your Steelers, once again, Ira, had a backdoor shot of making it into the playoffs. It kind of happened like that last year, and they were alive before the 1 o'clock game started. Well, we were alive, and then the Patriots lose, and then the Jets win, the Dolphins win. The Steeler game, the Steeler game was sort of was over by then. So you could, you, it's like it was still going on in the fourth quarter, but you could tell the fans when they heard the news of the Dolphin game, and, and it was like it was like the final game that ended. But so you could see what the with the Dolphins winning that eliminated the Steelers. I look, I was shocked. The Steelers started the year two and seven. I had no high expectations on this year at all. They finished seven two nine and eight. Mike Tomlin now people are. I'm giving him tons of credit. I thought Coach great. He did great. I, I was shocked about this team. Um, a lot of props to the defense of Cam Hayward, Mika Fitzpatrick, T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith. When Watt was out, they lost a number of those games when Watt was out. The only criticism I have with Tomlin is that Kenny Pickett probably should have started earlier. They, they, uh, uh, you know, Mitch Trublitsky was the quarterback that began the year. He lost some games and they pulled him. It seems that I think I would have liked to see. Thank God they made the move when they did uh, bring put Pickett in, but maybe it could have been done a game or two earlier, one extra game. Uh, but Tomlin, it, how about this statistic? He, this Tom, like Tomlin has coached 258 games for the Steelers. He has been alive. The Steelers have been alive but it's been 257 of 258 games. So I know they don't make the playoffs every time, but the fact that you know every game the Steelers are in, there's a chance that you know, that's why the Steelers don't rebuild or reload or however you want to consider it. And as a Steelers fan coming into next year, I actually have a lot. I thought we were two years away. I think next year with Pickett is improvement. If you can see what the improvement that Hurts had for the Eagles from one year to the next, I'm not saying Pickett's going to be Hurts this year, but Pickett can make another step of improvement. You have Najee Harris who starts to run great. Uh, Pickens at wide receiver. Deontre Johnson at wide receiver. Just need a couple more people in the offensive line. They have two first-round draft picks because of that place K-Pool trade. And uh, I just love their defense in terms of getting – if they just add a couple more players on defense, Look, the Steelers, are, are, they're, way, they're a year ahead of where I thought they were. I loved how they ended this year, finishing 7-2. And, uh, you know, they're in the mix for next year. Like, they're, they're, they're back. I mean, this year was like, yeah, you know, and now they don't have to waste time. Look, Pickett is not the savior. He's not Ben Rotzenberger. He's not Josh Allen. But he's good enough to get the Steelers perhaps to the Super Bowl. So that's all that counts. I mean, see where the quarterback situation is now. So I, I'm the Steelers fan. I'm very happy how this year ended because I'm confident for next year. I'm like, let's play. I'm ready for next year right now. Let's start right now. <laughs> Do you want to um, talk about this game at all? Because again, Deshaun Watson, it's been a couple of games now. I'm still not really seeing anything. No one, i tell you, Deshaun Watson, I, is, do people not want to talk? No one talks about how, I watched Deshaun Watson. I watched, he played terrible. I mean, it was absolutely unbelievable, the interceptions that he threw, um, the fact that they were in the game. And the Steelers drove down to the one-inch line, the first drive, and Najee Harris fumbled on a crazy play. Um, it was 10-7 at halftime. It was 27. Then, you know, Deshaun Watson had a, had a bad interception, hit another bad interception. It was just a poor play on his, on his part um, with the two interceptions. And he, also, he also had seven sacks. So he had seven sacks, two interceptions. Um, the Browns had nine penalties for 100 yards. I have 
say he's the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, doesn't look like it. I'd rather have Kenny Pickett than Deshaun Watson. And I think the Steelers pay him like one tenth of what they're paying, what the Browns are paying Deshaun Watson. But, but everyone was sort of saying with the, you know, the whole thing with Jacoby Brissett and uh, with a, he had a, you know, 11 game suspension. But uh, I am not impressed. I mean, I know that Deshaun Watson missed almost literally a year and a half of football, but you'd expect by this game, you'd expect some more. And I see the running, the elusiveness, but the, but the decision making isn't there. And and uh, just poor play. I, I, Brown fans are delusional if they think Deshaun Watson is leading them to the Super Bowl because I just don't think he is. And uh, I, I think, I, for the Steelers' perspective, I think we're right behind that division. I think we're better than the Ravens next year. I think we're better than the Browns. I think we're right behind the Bengals. Well, let's talk about the Ravens because this team, I know there wasn't you know much on the line yesterday, but the last six weeks with, with Lamar Jackson out, they're near unwatchable, Ira. This offense is just so bad without him in the, in the in the lineup I don't know if he's playing next week I don't know what's going on with him in, in that building with his injury but let's talk about Ravens and Bengals Bengals did what they had to do and beat up on uh, Tyler Huntley this is this game was first of all this game was absolutely horrendous um it was weird because the Ravens seemed to have something on the line, whereas if they would have won the game, now they finished 10-7, the Bengals were 12-4, and but if they finished with, with uh, six losses, the Bengals were five, that the next game was going to be a coin flip. They could have actually hosted the game, which was totally ridiculous, why the Bengals were so upset about it with the whole thing, with the, with, with the NFL rescheduling. But the Bengals came, and it fired the Bengals up, because they came out, he said, Joe Mixon had, had a run when he scored a touchdown, and Drew uh, did a coin flip celebration in the end zone after that. But the Ravens gave up on the game. They started Anthony Brown, not Tyler Huntley, of course not Lamar Jackson, no J.K. Dobbins, no Mark Andrews. They, they literally sat half their team. They, they just punted the entire game, and the Bengals went up to a huge lead, and uh, they were up 24-7 in the first half. Now, people are criticizing Cincinnati in the second half. They did nothing. But I didn't expect – it's not like the Eagles and the Giants. It's like they just wanted to coast. Don't get anyone hurt. Don't run crazy plays. Um, they didn't really do anything. But the game was over, and, uh, and now the Bengals play the Ravens again. And I, I think people are saying, oh, the Ravens. The Ra-. But this Lamar Jackson situation is just crazy, considering that the Ravens were 7-4, and then, uh, and then it, it go, you know, cruising along, having a good year. Lamar Jackson now misses six games. When he first got the injury, it was supposed to be just this, you know, a week-to-week injury. He's now missed six games. There's no information out of the Ravens camp. Remember, his contract is up at the end of this year. Some people think he's not playing because he doesn't want to get hurt so he can sign a big contract. I don't know, but there's been no evidence. I mean, this is not an injury that is like a Tua situation. If Lamar Jackson can play, he's going to play. Um, it's, not, it's not a concussion situation. I, no one knows. No one knows what's happened. But you know what? It, I, honestly, I don't think it matters. Bengals are going to beat the Ravens. Whether Lamar plays or not, I think the Bengals win this game. I think the Bengals crush. It doesn't matter who's under center for that, for that Ravens team. I agree with you there. Texans and Colts, and, and you might have gone into this game thinking, uh, you know, it really doesn't matter what happens here. It did matter, though, because if the Texans won, they no longer had the number one overall pick. It was going to the Chicago Bears. This is a very coveted pick for a team that needs a quarterback, and the Texans did what the Texans do, won the game. Well, they were, they've ended up 313 and one, and then Lovey Smith was fired like a minute after the game. I mean, they came back and won the game. I was just, I put these two games together because this, oh, these are the one o'clock games. The Texans beat the Colts, the Vikings beat the Bears. The Bears did what they had to do, which is continue to lose. Justin Fields, you know, when you want to lose a game, just Nathan Peterman, where are you? Uh, oh, oh, Nathan Peterman, okay, <laughs> start. Nathan Peterman is like Mr. Interception and everything. He seems in one of the worst records of any quarterbacks, and he still keeps playing as a backup quarterback. But they, they were, the Bears did what they had to do, get the one seed. Now, 
the thing is that the, the Texans do have a benefit. The Bears are not – they're going to keep Justin Fields a quarterback. And I'm not sold that Justin Fields is the answer at all. I mean, I, everyone thinks he is, and, 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 but I'm not totally sold on that. But the Bears now have uh, – the Bears will not pick a quarterback, so the Texans desperately need a quarterback. So I can see C.J. Stroud going there unless someone – unless the Bears trade up or do something. But it was – you know, you want to have the number one pick in the draft, and you don't really care about being the Colts 32-31 on a, in a play. But, again, it's, it's like – the players don't care. The players out there playing, they, you know, that's one thing. It's hard for a, a football team to purposely say we're going to take it unless you just don't play the players. And uh, they're out there playing hard, and they won the game. They wanted to win the game. and uh, But now the Bears have the It's the first time they're going to have the first pick of the draft since 1947. So as bad as we think the Bears have been, it's the first time they've been the, the pick since 1947. And the Vikings, they end up winning. They're the third seed now, but they were locked in the third seed anyway, and they, they played a lot of their, uh, their backups during the game. The Bears are taking phone calls right now, Ira. I'm telling you, they're going to get a haul for that pick, and that's why I would be worried if I was Houston, because if you do, I, I think there's no chance that the Bears draft there. I mean, you could take, um, you could take Will Anderson from Alabama. They have 40 holes. They should just try to get five first-round picks and start to rebuild this roster. Because if you are going to build around fields, you have to do it. I mean, you need you need draft capital to do that. Someone's going to trade up for the quarterback they want. And I think Houston might get boned here, but there's no way Chicago's actually using that pick, I don't think. No, I don't think so. Giants and Eagles. This was another game. Giants are locked in, and it's been a long time for my New York football Giants to be in a position where they could sit guys because they were going to the playoffs anyway. But that's what happened, and... They actually made this game kind of competitive. Davis Webb had a little uh, little juice in the second half. Well, it was, they were they're locked in the six seeds. So everybody, I mean, I saying, sometimes if you're trying to fight for seeds and do things, they were locked in six seeds. They sat Daniel Jones, sat Saquon Barkley. Um, they didn't really try it all. The Eagles, though, they wanted to get the number one seed, so they brought Jalen Hurts in for the game. And I did not like what Nick Sirianni said that Jalen Hurts was hurting the entire game. Jalen Hurts hurting, but uh, Hurts, I, I just it was one of those weird games. Eagles got out to a lead, just cruised. They didn't look that great, but. I'm not sold. I'm telling you, the Eagles now have not. It's just they're. They just they play, they lost two games in a row. They felt like they needed after losing to the Saints and the Cowboys. They felt like they they needed to even beat the Giants. They could not even win with Gardner Minshew, um, and uh, they end up 14-3. But for a season that they looked like they were cruising along, they were fantastic. Um, I, I and the fact that Sirianni said that Jalen Hurts was in a tremendous amount of pain. Now they have been. They have a bye week. They get it. They get to rest up. But uh, the Eagles have not, for a month now, not have not been looking like a great team at all. And then the next game we're going to talk about is the team that has been looking, the, you know, besides the Chiefs by far. The, by really, the, the team we're going to talk about next is the team that it just has to be any rational person who watches the game has to say it's the best team in the NFL. Right now. Yeah, Ira, we'll, we'll do it now. So oftentimes you talk about getting hot at the right time. You want the team that has the momentum going into the playoffs. What if you're just hot for three months? Because that's what San Francisco has been. Here's an interesting stat. Brock Purdy has the longest running streak of games with two touchdowns in the league. Brock Purdy does. Not Patrick Mahomes. Not Josh Allen. I don't know about this team. I can't see anyone in the NFC, in the, uh, NFC beating them. I mean, they, they've now won 10 straight games. They were three and four. Um, and they are just on a roll. And we always talk about San Francisco getting hurt. Jimmy Garoppolo is the poster child of the organization getting hurt. They, 
out of nowhere, Elijah Mitchell is a, their other running back who was their star running back. He, for the last two years, has been hurt. They were saying he might make it back for the playoffs. Well, there's Elijah Mitchell running the ball, scoring two touchdowns, five carries for 55 yards. Wait, there's Christian McCaffrey, 10 carries, 45 yards, then three catches, 34 and a touchdown. And Brandon Nayuk, their wide receivers catch the ball. There's George Kittle. And then there's Debo Samuel. They have so many weapons. It's unbelievable. And their defense just stops. I mean, they, they take a team like Arizona, and they just stop them down. And, and they, they, Arizona, it was like, it was, Arizona was sort of like, you know, one of those, like, it was like the Washington Generals in terms of like a Harlem Globetrotters type of game. You knew Arizona was, had no chance of this game. But the fact that San Francisco went out there and just had fun and looked great, and they have been, again, they've won. They have played once since October. They haven't lost, and they've been crushing teams now, and except for, that, for the Raiders game. But this is... Uh, this this team, I don't care if Brock, if Brock Purdy is is the perfect quarterback for this because he's not making mistakes. He's playing smart. He's using his weapons. Whether he's earning himself a position, this team he could end up winning this being the Super Bowl winner this year. It's, it reminds me of Ben when Ben was a, in his second year when they won the Super Bowl when he was just there. Like, oh, it really wasn't Ben who won the Super Bowl. It was everybody else around and those type of things. Sometimes quarterbacks fall into situations. Same thing with Brady. You know, who knows? Ten years from now, we're talking about remember when Brock Purdy took over a position. He's the seventh pick. He was the last player, seventh round, last player in the draft. And then he's this great quarterback, and he's playing fantastic. And uh, I think everyone's underestimating him. But San Francisco, I sat and watched this whole game. I'm watching all the games. They're the far, by far playing the best of any team in the NFL right now. Best defense, best offense. They should be the favorite to win the Super Bowl, especially in the NFC. I mean, I like Tampa. I can't wait. But I, I, as much as I, mean, I, saw, I saw that Tampa San Francisco game, and that would be more of a heart. Not, you know, they, they killed Tampa. This, it would be impossible to think that Tampa could beat them. But San Francisco looked amazing as beating the Cardinals. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Don't forget, Ira and the Robes Law Group want to send you to see FAU basketball. Had a big winner last week, Charles Metcalf from West Palm Beach. Sign up right now at trueoldiesfla.com. Send you to see FAU basketball with floor seats. That's trueoldiesfla.com. Brought to you by Ira on Sports and our friends at the Robes Law Group, where winning is a habit. Call 561-570-5700. Let's go to the Cowboys. And this is a team that I... I think a lot of Cowboys fans think that they're really good. Over the last five weeks, Ira, the Cowboys rank 29th in the league in yards per play allowed and 29th in the league in sacks, a sack percentage, 2.4% of dropbacks. This was a team that the first six weeks were mauling people on defense. Now the last five, six weeks, they've been terrible. I'm not feeling good if I'm a Cowboys fan going into the playoffs and the Washington Commanders kind of showed them that, yeah, you guys' defense is not very good. Uh, there is times during the game when I was watching. Uh, is Dak Prescott the quarterback? Like, who is their quarterback? I mean, did they bring Nathan Peterman and sign him too? Like, I didn't understand what D- D- Dak Prescott. This is a Washington team that was out of playoffs. So remember, Dallas was playing for potentially a number one seed. If, if Philadelphia would have lost and Minnesota would have lost and San Francisco would have lost, Dallas would have been the number one seed. So they were playing for a number one seed with a chance to, to do it. They were unbelievably bad. They got destroyed 20, 26 to 6. Prescott was. Can you say I, – someone said it was the worst performance of the, of the year for him. I think it was his worst performance of his career, 14 for 37. That means he has 24 new completions, 120 yards, one touchdown, one interception, which was a pick six. Dallas could not do anything. They had 190 yards to get to Washington. They didn't really care. They wouldn't be on the team. They, they, they wouldn't be on the field this Team, this Dallas team has been limping in. They look bad against Philadelphia when they won. They look tennis bad against Phil Tennessee when they won. They lose to Jacksonville in overtime. They even look bad when they beat the Houston Texans. Um, we're talking about the NFC. They're the fifth seed. Um, 
you look at one, the Eagles, to me, they look terrible. Uh, the, we talked about San Francisco being clearly, but three, the Vikings, they are a, a mess. And then we had Tampa, I love Tampa, but they have, a, they have a losing record, eight and nine into the playoffs. And then you have the Dallas team, which is terrible. They have the Giants team. I mean, it, again, the, the San Francisco 49ers, this is their conference. I, I would be shocked if they're not in the Super Bowl because the Cowboys, anyone who thinks the Cowboys, you watch the game, the Cowboys game and the, and the 49ers, they're, they're in, it's like watching the Mac versus the big, you know, like an SEC. There's no way the Cowboys can beat. They're awful. They, they were listless out there. Prescott's mistakes. Players were open. Players were dropping balls. They couldn't make tackles on defense. They couldn't tackle. They couldn't tackle the, the, the Washington Commanders at all. Terrible performance by the Cowboys. It's almost like they should have just said, continue the game, take the bye, put reserves in. They, in fact, they even tried to win the game and lost by those. Just embarrassing. One of the worst performances of the year of any team. It would have been a way better optic if they did bench guys and lost like this as opposed to having Dak Prescott out there. So the Seattle Seahawks are pretty much the like the the Cinderella feel-good story of the season. Geno Smith, I think, should win comeback player of the year unanimously. Pete Carroll should get coach of the year votes. They had to beat the Rams here, and they had to get a little luck later on in the day. This was a big game. The Rams, they're in the same division. They don't want to lose and let Seattle go, you know, potentially get into the playoffs, but Seattle did what they had to do, and congratulations to them. Yeah, they won. They, they they won on an overtime field goal. They missed a field goal at the reg- end of regular season, regular regulation. They hit that overtime field goal. Uh, Jalen Ramsey had uh, the the tackle here on on uh, uh, Geno Smith. One of the worst. I mean, Ramsey's not known as a tackler, but Geno Smith was out of bounds, running out of bounds. And the play was over, and Ramsey just clocked him. I, I can't believe he didn't get thrown out of the game for that. And uh, but it was such a terrible play from someone who's considered to be this all-star player. But Geno Smith set single-season franchise records for attempts, completions, yards, breaking all of Russell Wilson's records along the way. <laughs> now, Seattle's been slow at the ending where they started out so fast. But by winning that game, they put themselves in a position, and they eliminated Detroit. So they eliminate Detroit, and now Detroit, now then we go to the night game. Detroit has to be, Detroit's now been eliminated by Seattle. But Seattle says, oh, we know we have eliminated you, Detroit, for the playoffs, but can you please do us a favor and beat Green Bay so we can get into the playoffs and Detroit a block? Yeah, and this was a, a night game with a lot of ramifications here. I, I was excited about this one. And I, I just had a feeling the Lions were going to win this game. I don't think the Packers are very good. And, you know, we've been talking on this show, uh, if the Packers get into the playoffs, you don't want to see Aaron Rodgers. And that's correct because we're talking about a lot of the paper Tigers in the NFC. But it's not going to matter because the Lions did what they had to do. Congratulations to Dan Campbell. This is about as good a season you can have with not making the playoffs. Right. you got to be the fact that Dan Campbell, they ask Dan Campbell, they go, well, if you're eliminated, will you play your players? They're like, do you know me? Do you know who I am? Like, I could be, this game could be nothing. We could go out and, I mean, Dan Campbell seems to be someone who had a ping pong game. It's going to be like sweating. Flipping the table. Nuts. Like, he's, he's not, he, he's never going to rest anybody, anytime, anything. They win in the game. I thought Green Bay, this, the, the penalties at the end of the first half, when it was like Detroit had the ball, they did a personal foul play to put, let uh, Detroit get that field goal at the end of the first half. It was 9-6 Green Bay. could have been 9-3. But in that second half, after they traded, uh, traded touchdowns, the Green Bay's total meltdown on that drive that, that Detroit had. First of all, well, first of all, they tackle Swift when one of the Green Bay running defensive backs just forearms him, clocks him in the head, which should have been objection from the game. They don't call that, but they call Walker, who's the number one draft pick, for coming in. And can, I can't even, I, you know, I watch so much football. Have you ever seen someone who attacked? Uh, a trainer, especially with the Hamlin situation, where the trainers are viewed as guys. The trainer is coming in out to help Swift, 
and the guy comes in and put and pushes the trainer out of the way. And then another Packer player, which they didn't identify on TV, also pushed the trainer. So a trainer is out there just trying to help Swift because he hurt his leg, maybe, but whatever. He's out there trying to help the players getting pushed around by backer players. And then you see LaFleur saying, use your head. Use your head. I, I don't know what else to say. How in the world can you act like that? And now Walker's been thrown out now two games this year. But to then... But that was just emblematic of the emblematic of the entire season of the Packers, totally losing focus, totally losing their cool, and attacking a trainer. We're not talking another player. We're talking a trainer who's coming out to help an injured player. I just—it's the lowest you can go. I mean, I, they, I'm gonna, I think these Packers. I think both Walker and the other Packers should be four game suspensions for that. Because if you're, if you're going to attack training staff from another team, I don't know what else you can say, especially after we dealt with the Hamlin situation where the trainers are viewed as saviors. They're coming on the field to help people. They should not be attacked, literally pushed. I don't care if it was a push. You do not push people. You're in a helmet. You're a strong guy. They're just there. It's ridiculous. It was one of the worst things I've ever seen on the field. And initially, they didn't throw Walker out of the game. And I think the NFL, someone in the league office, called into the ref and said, you've got to throw him out. There's no way you can keep someone in the game who just pushed the training staff. No, it's like shooting at a medic. It's like a war crime. I don't know what was going through his head at that time. But again, something every week there seems to be something that happens in the NFL where you're just like, I've never seen this before. What is going on? Um, and then Rogers, and then Rogers threw an intercept. You know, I think that whole touchdown, the whole unnerving. Rogers just seemed unnerved. He throws the interception, and then Detroit just runs the clock out. They go on fourth down, like you know, they again it was fourth and one. They could have you know kicked the field goal, gone up seven. They decided to go for it on fourth down, get it, and that never give Green Bay a chance to get the ball back. But it was just it was you know when Rogers walked off the field, I still think he's about coming back to Green Bay. But wow, I mean, he would not give his jersey up to Jameson Williams. He's hugging Randall Cobb. He he didn't want the camera in his face at all. It's like this was his last game. Like in in essence, I mean, many ways it looked like it was. I don't think it's going to be his last game. It doesn't make any sense. But he really walked off that field like if someone said that's like almost like a Ben Roethlisberger way to walk off the game. I give NBC credit; they kept the camera on him to show it. But that could it, it, it looked like that. That that had all the feeling like a person who was saying, "I just played my last game as a Green Bay Packer." That's how it, it looked like on TV. I don't believe it, but it felt like that to some extent. We are almost out of time. We got to get to Patrick Garbin here. Time is flying by here on Iron Sports. Let's talk about the games, though, Ira. Saturday, first game is going to be Seattle and San Fran. I don't think San Fran is going to play easy with Seattle. I think that this is a steamroll. Oh, no. San Francisco destroys them. It's a line's nine and a half. I, I just can't imagine it's going to be a close game. I think you know, that'll, that'll be done easy. Uh, Saturday night is going to be San Diego and Jacksonville, as we said. I don't love either of these teams, Ira. And you want to give the credit to the home team, West Coast team coming to the East Coast. I still have to take San Diego in this game. I think San Diego, they got, uh, Mike Williams, we'll see what his injuries are, but you have Eckler and Keenan Allen, Allen healthy. Justin Herbert is still more experienced than Trevor Lawrence. I'm excited about this game, but the line, Chargers minus two and a half. I think Jacksonville, again, the Tennessee game, they were still inconsistent on offense. They're not there yet. I think they're, I think the chart, I'll tell you what, Chargers lose this game, Brandon Staley's fired. That's all I'm going to say. He'll be fired, and this position, and that could be Sean Payton, could be the coach at, at, San, at the Chargers. But uh, I think San Diego wins this game. But, uh, I, I do, I, but I'll tell you what, they better not lose this game. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. First game on Sunday, Miami in Buffalo, and I don't think anyone's given Miami a chance here, unfortunately. If two is as we talked earlier, two is not going to play. Buffalo's favored by nine. I take. I think Buffalo runs away and hides in this game. It's like this game feels like thirty-five to three, forty-two three type game. Giants in Minnesota, four twenty-five. I'll be wearing my big blue jersey, and I'm predicting a Giants win over Kirk Cousins. Minnesota's favored by three, and we talked about this. I think that in the NFC. 
Tom Brady has 35 playoffs wins. Uh, Cousins and Prescott have the only ones with other wins, too. So it's 35-2. to two. It's, it's simply the most unbelievable statistic you can imagine uh, in terms of playoff. And so Cousins does have some playoff experience. I'd like to Minnesota in this game. Uh, I still think at home they're going to win this game. I, they, 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 I just, I, I'm not sold about the Giants. I'm still, it's sort of like this feel like I just think I like Dable. I think they played well. I like Daniel Jones. I, there's a lot of things I like about the Giants, but I just think the Vikings are a better team. And I think Vikings win this game, so I take Vikings minus three. Baltimore and Cincy is going to be the night game, and even with Lamar, we talked about it. Cincinnati's going to cruise. Oh, no, I, this game is the easiest one to predict. Cincinnati's going to blow them out. I think they don't like Baltimore. Again, I think that Baltimore, I, I don't care if Lamar Jackson plays or doesn't play in this game. I think Cincinnati's on a roll. The, the Cincinnati has, they, they, they're funny. They're not going to look past Baltimore, even though they just beat Baltimore. They don't like Baltimore. They don't like the Ravens. They get to play them. So I think Cincinnati wins easily in this game. And then uh, Monday Night Football is going to be Cowboys in Tampa facing the Bucks. I don't love either of these teams, but the way the Cowboys have looked down the stretch compared to, you know, the Bucks at least, you know, last week coming out looking good. I had I got to take the Bucks. It's been almost two months that we've been talking about this game. I've never seen a playoff where they can actually predict what's going to happen. It seems like the Buccaneers were going to have the four seed and the Cowboys were going to have the fifth seed. They've been talking. It seemed like that's where this was going for so long. It's now finally here. And I think the, the Cowboys are favored by three. I'll be at that game. I'm going to go to the Jacksonville game on Saturday and I'll go to the Monday. It worked out perfectly for the Bucks game on Monday. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to see a Buccaneer win. I, I don't think the Cowboys beat them. I think the Buccaneers win this game. Um, and I, I don't, I think it'll be a close game because everything the Buccaneers do are close. But I certainly would rather have Tom Brady at quarterback than Dak Prescott. And I and uh, I think Todd, but Mike, the way Mike McCarthy's been coaching right now, again, here's another. They lose this game. Sean Payton, we talked about this a little off air. I think Sean Payton's going to have a choice. We look at these jobs that are available in Denver and this and this. I think when you're a coach like Sean Payton or, jo- or Jim Harbaugh, uh, you really have a pick of the litter. Because I think if the Cowboys lose this game and the Chargers lose their game and uh, even the Dolphins. I mean, these teams, just because you make the playoffs does not give you job security in this NFL. These teams are trading for $5 billion. Owners are paying them. And you guess what? They can, they can eat coaches' contracts of $30, $40 million when you're paying $5, 6000000000 billion for a football team. You can certainly eat uh, coaches' contracts. Let's go to Patrick Garb and it's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, and we're just welcome to have come back for the show a second time in three weeks. It's Patrick Garbin, the expert on Georgia football. Patrick, thanks a lot for coming on and previewing the national championship game that's going to be on in a few hours. Yes, sir. I appreciate you uh, having me on. So, wow. I mean, let's just cover the Ohio State game for a second. I mean, we I was at the Michigan TCU game. Remember, I thought that was the greatest game. And then you had that Georgia-Ohio State game. What a tremendous game, back and forth. Georgia down 14 points in the first half, down 14 points in the second half. The comeback, just tremendous performance to be able to resiliency from the Bulldogs. Yeah, and I think that's something that this team has that other teams in the past didn't necessarily have. You know, they were down double digits against Missouri and came back in the fourth quarter to win it. And they were down by 14 points two different times against Ohio State and came back and win it. This is, this is a program that not too long ago, they would usually suffer the defeat. I, I'll tell you, from 2008 through 2013, six straight seasons, Georgia at least had one loss where they were leading by double digits in the second half. And it, it kind of became a uh, – old tune for him. It would just happen. And, and now it, it, uh, you can see how the program has changed because now Georgia's the team doing the comeback. 
what is that old Al Pacino line in the football, the game of inches. And clearly on the Bowers reversal on when on the first down, we're able to get a field goal on that. And then uh, how about how a game of seconds when, when a half split second, when Kirby decides to call a timeout right on the fake punt and, and be able to stop that fake punt, you know, just pretty, just an amazing performance in terms of just, it seemed like, and then also pushing for that final field goal, giving, letting Ruggles have a 50 yard field goal, not like a 40 yard field goal or 45 yard field goal, all those things that really helped Georgia. I mean, you talked about bend versus not break. I mean, they really bent, but it was just, just enough to hold on for a win. Yeah, and I think I think the Georgia faithful, like I kind of mentioned earlier, they're, they're kind of used to things like that going against them. Um, however, in the last season or two, there seems to be a about face. And, uh, yeah, like like the um, Peach Bowl, Georgia, Georgia seems to catch some breaks from, from time and time again, unlike before. Well, after the game, I was in surprise. I mean, Kirby's first comment is, we're going to need to get better quarterback play. You know, considering Stetson Bennett led a tremendous drive at that end. I mean, just it, it was so reminiscent of the Alabama National Championship game when he led that drive at the end to win, but another great drive. And then to have lead a drive like that and have your coach say, well, we're going to need better quarterback play if we're going to win the National Championship. Yeah, and you know Kirby, he's he's uh, you know if he wouldn't say anything, at least a little bit negative, I think something's wrong. You know, he's he he that that's just kind of him. But you know, with Stetson, I mean, it's amazing. In the fourth quarter of three college football playoff games, fifteen of seventeen for three hundred and twelve yards and five touchdowns, and uh, yeah, you know. Maybe Stetson struggles at times during the games, but he just there's just something about him where he just seems to turn it on there at the end. But there has to be. I mean, he, he put, pointed the finger at Stetson, but someone's going to – I mean, you, we've talked about the Georgia defense. This is not last year's Georgia defense at all. No. And I guess that does lead to concern. It seemed like Ohio State at points could just move the ball whenever they wanted, and that must have been a major concern that Georgia just cannot – Marvin Harrison Jr. seemed to be just running wide open at times. Uh, big concern that the defense is, is just really having a lot of problems. And, and it ha- Well, the past defense has for a little while. I think, you know, that's five straight games, first time under the smart era. They've given up 200 yards plus passing in five straight games, 850 just in the last two against LSU in the uh, SEC championship in Ohio State. So it's a concern, especially because TCU can can uh, throw it all over the yard. So it's something to watch how this pass defense is. It going to have another you know subpar or even worse performance um, in in the final game? I was reading at your Twitter at Patrick Garbin on Twitter at Patrick Garbin. Um, I was noticing that you said that you mentioned that George and TCU have played a couple times before. I, I know Michigan TCU hadn't played, so that they do have some experience in terms of playing against each other. Yeah, and I, I'll go ahead and tell you, all their previous um, four meetings have been somewhat meaningful. The 1942 Orange Bowl was Georgia's very first bowl game the 1980 regular season meeting well that was that was during georgia's national championship run the 1988 regular season meeting that came in uh you know legendary head coach vince dooley who recently passed away his final season at georgia and then the 2016 liberty bowl meeting that was kirby smart's first uh season at georgia so here the fifth meeting it's a national title game. So all five, at least from a Georgia uh, historical perspective, all five meetings have been, um, you know, somewhat meaningful. 
Yeah, and Sonny Dykes, I, I just saw, again, he's now taking his third Alabama transfer. So I guess he's really <laughs> getting his team ready to play uh, Georgia, you know, bringing some Alabama transfer. I was not going to play in the game, but I was just surprised that three players from Alabama have gone to the transfer portal this year and just the past, like, two weeks to uh, TCU. I guess TCU is trying to say we're in the Southeast Conference or something. Yeah, and and it's interesting because I saw that uh, as far as four- and five-star talent, Georgia on their roster has four times as much as TCU, 68 players at four or five stars compared to 17. And maybe TCU's trying to go through the transfer portal to get some talent that they necessarily can't get on the uh, recruiting end. Um, we talked about – I talked with another reporter from Ohio State about C.J. Stroud, and his. Uh, he didn't run in the previous game against Michigan. He did seem to want to run the ball, and he's, like, proved everybody a pocket passer. You saw him in the game against Georgia run and prove effectively in, in running sure. with the ball. Max Duke is going to do the same thing. I mean, I suppose that the TCU game, so many plays. I know it's, you don't see those long, you know, 50, 60-yard runs, but it seemed like whenever they needed a first down, he would get it. Uh, you know, so many fourth down plays. He does the quarterback sneak well. But also just the, just the option. It, it, it seemed like Dugan does have that dual threat capability, which would cause Georgia problems. Yeah, and I, I'll, I will say, though, I think Georgia really didn't game plan for Stroud to – run that much. I mean, I certainly didn't think they, he would have 12, 13 carries as he did. And, um, but you can count on Georgia's definitely been uh, game planning for uh, Dugan's running ability. You know, Dugan, he's, he's, he's a great runner. It provides an extra weapon, but I will say it's an, he's an inconsistent runner, you know, for every game where he did get his yardage and get his carries. There's a minus 41, yard rushing output against Texas. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I don't see him running freely through the Georgia defense, though, because I, I see I see the Bulldogs definitely game planning against his running ability. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing in the TCU-Michigan game. TCU lost their start, Kimba Miller, their starter, their starting running back, and still ran for like 270 yards on a Michigan defense that was supposedly so great against the run. It just came out of nowhere. I mean, Michigan cannot be happy with their performance. But also, I think from that game that, uh, you know, I think that was one thing that, we're, that was really surprising about the fact that Michigan defense just melted away from the CCU offense. Yeah, and it, it will, like I said, it will be interesting how this Georgia defense does I mean it, it particularly from from the passing I think Georgia should be able to just because their physicality up front you know defensively I think they will be able to limit TCU's run game but uh, like I said the 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 pass could become a problem defending that yeah and Quinton Johnson you saw I mean I think people don't realize how good Quinton Johnson is he was hurt this year for TCU so he didn't play some games was injured a couple but boy he looked healthy the last two games for TCU and you saw in that game against Michigan the long but 70 80 yard pass play that he turned on um you know he's tall fast everything and he's going to be the first uh, wide receiver taking the NFL draft and you know be we talk about fantasy all the time he's going to be one of those fantasy maybe second or third round rookies that will be drafted next year yeah, and it's like I said, it will be it will be interesting to see how Georgia defends against that. Um, that I, I can see TCU just coming, you know, guns a blazing and and trying to throw it all over the place. And uh, Georgia, which has defended the pass well at times, especially when they knew it was coming, it's interesting because the last two weeks especially hasn't been that case. So we'll uh, we'll find out. 
you know, on TCU's defense, I mean, it's one thing. Michigan seemed to be able to march the ball up and down, but they're opportunistic. I mean, to, to have two pick sixes in a college football semifinal, just amazing. And it's like it's one of those things where, boy, they are, very, they are definitely an opportunistic defense. They force turnovers, and they convert them to touchdowns. And I think that's kind of the notion with, with some, uh, some people that think Georgia that has that advantage. It's, it's the simple fact that Michigan – you know, in a way, kind of gave that ball game away. I mean, as you said, there were the two pick sixes. There was the fourth and goal on what the one or two yard line where they should have just hammered it in. Instead, um, you know, I think Harbaugh tried to get cute. And there was another instance or two where where the game could have been, you know, somewhat one sided. Um, but uh, but Michigan just kind of gave it away. I think twenty five points or so. So. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it, it's something I don't see happening twice in a row for for that opportunity. You know, especially when you're playing a team uh, like Georgia, which has you know they they're um, they very disciplined. Uh, they don't turn the ball over much. I mean, before uh, Stetson got sacked in the Peach Bowl, I think he went six consecutive games, six or seven consecutive games without getting sacked. That's amazing. So, yeah, so it's a team that generally doesn't beat themselves, but I think TCU is going to need a team to beat themselves to win this game, and I just I just don't see Georgia doing that. So Georgia's a 14-point favorite. Uh, everyone's telling them they're going to have an easy win. I mean, TCU, I started the TCU section. He's Michigan. It's like they, 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 they relish the underdog role. If the line was 30, they'd be happy about that. So, I mean, it's something, it's something that um, Kirby must be just preaching again and again. Forget about the line. Forget about this. You know, it has to be one of those things where – and also, if you're up – you know, they, they even said, we think we're going to win if we're down 21 and a half because they've been down 21 points twice a couple times this year and come back and won. So, it's like one of those things that, you know, that he's really going to be – he really has to keep his team – the focus on Georgia has to be, you know, paramount. Yeah, and is I mean, I'm sitting here and telling you how, you know, talented and, and deep – Georgia is, but they, they still have shown or displayed ways that they shoot themselves in the foot. It's and, and they need to watch it because if they do that a couple times against a team like TCU, it can get out of hand real quick and they could be down by double digits again. And would Stetson be, be able to bring them back again? You don't know. I think Georgia's going to try to avoid those mistakes just simply so they're not in that situation. Yeah, so what, what is your prediction, Patrick? I mean, you, you've seemed confident. Do you think it's going to be one of those? Where do you see the game going? Do you see a Georgia taking a big lead and holding on? Do you see it tight and then Georgia uh, you know, running away near in the second half? I, I think what you just said. I, you know, TCU's talented. I can see them hanging with Georgia for at least a quarter, maybe even three or so. But in the end, you know, I, I told you the four times as many four-star and five-star players – just too talented, too physical um, up front. Uh, you know, they, Georgia should win both lines of scrimmage. And I can see it being close, but in the end, Georgia wins, you know, something like 41 to 21 or something like that. I, I see Georgia winning, uh, covering the spread, and then winning by, like I said, anywhere from 17 to 20-plus points.
Well, I tell you, I was I was at Georgia for a game this year. Fans were super loud, you know, the, the Georgia Tennessee game. But I was at the side of the TCU section, TCU in Michigan. And those TCU fans are loud too, so I expect a pretty raucous atmosphere right at SoFi. I know this is not it's not going to be the, the Los Angeles crowd coming, you know, uh, yeah. to the game. I think it's going to be pretty loud because these fans are going to both of schools really know how to cheer, and I think it'll be fun. It'll be a fun environment in there. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm I'm really intrigued with the TCU program. Anytime you go five and seven and you have a first year head coach and you do what they were able to do this year it's it's uh, rather extraordinary and um we'll see like i said i mean i i wouldn't uh i'd be rather shocked if if tcu pulled an upset but i definitely think that you know there's a good possibility they could uh give a good game especially for the majority of the ball game well, Patrick, I really appreciate it. Now you're busy getting ready for the game, so thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to follow Patrick talking about the Georgia Bulldogs, it's at, at Patrick Garvin on Twitter, correct? Is that the best way to follow you and, and, and everything? And also, he has eight books on Georgia, so go look at his books and, and pull out some of his great books that he wrote about the Georgia Bulldog program. That's great. Thank you very much, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Patrick Garbin for stopping by. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So, Ira, like we said, you kept yourself busy during the week while not much, you know, ma- massive games were going on. You attended a uh, Lakers game. Well, yeah, I went to the Lakers. They played the Heat. So I got to see the Lakers versus the Heat. Um, and the Heat, we're going to talk, start talking about the Heat coming up in the future, but terrible, terrible performance. Losing to, to the Lakers without LeBron James. Russell Westbrook played fantastic. Schroeder had 32 points. But, again, the concern I have for the Heat is that Tyler Hero is in the game. with Father Nata Bio. He swims, takes a lesser role. He only scored nine points. And uh, it, that's if the Heat, they need all three of these players, the Bam, Butler, and Hero, all playing well to win. And what a bad performance in, in, the, in the Staples. It was the first time I've been at Staples since the winning time came out. So it was cool to see the Laker girls and all the avids from the Lakers and those things. So it's fun to be there for that. But from a Heat perspective, they have got to start playing better. I I know the playoffs are months and months away, but that was just another terrible performance on a a season that's been full of terrible performances by the Heat. So, Ira, I don't think you've been to a hockey game since, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs last year when you were, uh, you know, fired up traveling around. But you got to take in two hockey games this week, starting off with the uh, Kings and Stars. Yeah, I saw Kings versus Dallas, and I'll tell you what, at the at the uh, Crypto.com, with the old Staples Center, it's that is not a good place to watch hockey. I mean, I went to Tampa and saw the game there, and we've been to Florida Panthers and saw that, but the, it, it, it's a mess. We were sitting, I had great seats, but you had to look through like three levels of glass. I just, it was not a very good environment. When I went to the Anaheim, to the pond, I was right on the glass behind the goal. It was perfect at the Honda Center to sit there. I, I think there is this type, you know, Tampa has a hockey-only arena. I think it's hard to have these arenas. It just, it just seemed to be difficult to follow the game where the glass is set up where the players is like the temporary seating um, for those games. But I'll tell you, it's great to be at hockey. That that when I went to the Anaheim beat San Jose five four in overtime, sat right behind it. When they, I'm screaming like five times, the pucks are flying. It was great. So I really enjoyed being there at both games and going. To, it's you know, it, it's such an easy thing in Anaheim. They, there was no lines for the bathrooms at the Honda Center. There was no lines for the concession stands. The season it was sold out, and you could get in the parking and, and drive out really fast. 
I've never been to an arena like that. And the, the concession, the area where the walk around was like marble floors. It was such a nice arena. I loved it. And it was fantastic. You wonder how these other arenas can't get their act together. Whereas when you're at the Staples Center, there's you know, long lines for concessions, long lines for bathrooms, all those other things. So uh, it was fun going to see two hockey games and one basketball game in a week. I'm pretty happy that your love of hockey is being reinvigorated just in time. Um, so let's talk a little golf here because Colin Morikawa, he doesn't have a win in a year and a half, Ira. And this was his tournament to win. Huge lead. John Rahm comes out and bogeys the first hole and then just goes on an unbelievable tear. Yeah, I mean, Colin McCarroll blew a, blew a six-shot lead. Only eight golfers ever have blown a six-shot lead in a final round. So this is one of those Century World Champions tournaments where you have the star. You know, people have won tournaments, all the top players in the world, something the PGA Tour is trying to do uh, to make it. And a uh, big win for Rom, but a bad loss for Morikawa. And, of course, there's no live golf players. Remember, they're only going to have the live golf players in the, uh, in the majors. And when this is starting the year, this is what we're going to talk about in golf. We're going to be missing all these superstar players, superstar golfers that aren't going to be in these PGA Tour events. But a bad loss for Colin McCraw. And Rory McIlroy, who was big in having these events, didn't play. He passed on this event. So you had an event with none of the live golfers, plus you didn't have Rory playing in this event. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, you were at the Rose Bowl, and you got to see your uh, Penn State Nittany Lions get a big win. Yeah, 35-21. Sean Clifford's last game. He's had every career record at Penn State at quarterback. It rained the entire second half and uh, in your sunny California, but you got to see Nick Singleton have an 87-yard touchdown run, Clifford threw uh, to Larry Smith, 87-yard pass. Uh, big win. I mean, I think people thought that Utah would put up, put up much of a fight in the second half. They didn't. Penn State looks good. And really, when you look at bowl games, as much as Clifford, it was an honor to Clifford for him to play, even though I've been critical. I thought we should have gone to Drew Aller earlier, for our, our, our star, five-star quarterback that's coming up for next year. But for a lot of the Penn State players, this is a team that's going to be the team next year. I have confidence that they're going to play well. I, I'm looking forward for a big year for Penn State for next year. So you're at the you're at the national championship game tonight, Ira. What do you think happens? Look, I was at remember I was saw the Georgia Tennessee game. I, what I said about the game, Georgia hits harder than any team I've ever seen. I've never seen a team hit this hard. I saw the TCU Michigan game. I thought TCU was TCU was very lucky to win the game. Michigan threw two pick sixes. Um, I, at TCU has so much fight. They 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 come up, but again. I like what Patrick Garvin just said. He goes, it's the five stars with the three stars. It's just the talent is going to wear down. Georgia's offensive line, you have four players on the offensive line that are going to be the NFL. Um, there's one, 79, Avila from uh, TCU is going to be in the, in the NFL draft too. Uh, but just, just too many players. I, I know TCU is like a one good defensive lineman, but they're just not enough that I just think Georgia wears them down. Georgia's been in these games. This is not, I think Georgia's been in this type of game against Alabama. They've overcome it. Look for Max Duke. Look for Georgia has got to shut down Quinton Johnson. That's the key. The wide receiver from TCU, uh, Rambo, who is their star cornerback, seems to have trouble this year. This is not the Georgia defense, but I do think that they're going to somehow again neutralize. The, that's why I think they're going to Tennessee is going to score like 21 points, but I think Georgia just cannot be stopped, and they'll score 44, 45 points. And just as Patrick said, I, I, I look for a big win uh, by Georgia, and I think they're going to cover the spread. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Patrick Garbin for stopping by. He's Ira Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.